Our New Testament reading today is from Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the gospel of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, first, grace and peace are yours in our Lord Jesus. Amen. This week we begin our fall kickoff launch, and it's system check. And so I figured, what, what better thing for system check than, well, than some rocket ships? I'm here at the National Museum of the United States Air Force. And it's fascinating to me to think through all the history that has, has brought us to this place, this place where we were actually supposed to be talking about the Artemis launch and how we are now thinking about sending people to the moon again. Well, of course, the Artemis launch was scrubbed, so we didn't go to Florida. All right, we were never really going to go to Florida. Instead, we're here in Dayton, Ohio. And when we think about the things that go into a launch, it's amazing. It takes years and years and years of preparation. I'm a I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, and so behind me is the space shuttle. That's what space exploration meant when I was a kid. And it was always exciting to hear the launch countdown. Well, I've learned a lot about the launch countdown. I've learned that it starts 48 hours ahead of time with the T-48. And actually, there are built-in holds throughout it. And there's this one part that's really the most exciting. It's when it gets down to T-9, and that's nine minutes before launch. And it's the last hold that's built in. And it can last as long as it needs to. In fact, if there's a problem, it can last 24 to 48 hours. But it's the time for that, that famous go-no-go, no go, when the test director for NASA pulls all of the people uh, between 12 and 15 and asks them if their department, if their system is ready to go. It's the final main system check. And so each one is pulled. Give me a no-go, no-go, a go-no-go no go for launch. And there's the flight director who's in charge of the entire flight. And that flight director takes all of that information, listens to all of the go, no go. And at the end of it then, the flight director is the one who makes the final decision, whether the flight is going to launch or not. Now, I, I found it pretty fascinating that actually 50% of the space shuttle launches were actually scrubbed during that go, no go for launch because something wasn't right. And what's interesting about that testing, about that system check that they went through, is that it served the most critical purpose. It was the last chance for this to be called off, the last chance. And so it was really important for them to get this right because they wanted to make sure that those who were going up were kept safe. And so it was a chance to make sure everything was right, everything was safe, 
and everything was go. Now we also are called to system checks, not for a launch because we're not really necessarily going anywhere, but we're called to a system check in our own lives as we are supposed to test those things that are in the world, test the things that affect our discipleship. And really it's just as critical that we would in fact make sure that all things are right, that all things are safe even, and that all things are good. That's our system check. And the testing that we are to do isn't go, no, go for launch. It's testing our own discipleship. Now let's be real clear right up front. What is a disciple? A disciple, first of all, is someone, as Romans 12 says, who has experienced the mercies of God. Right? It's someone who has been claimed and called by God himself, one who knows salvation, redemption in Jesus Christ. And when we know that, we know that gift of God in us, then we, we want to grow forward in faith by thinking and acting like Jesus. That's what a disciple does, moves forward in faith by thinking and acting like Jesus. And so we wanna know what things are good for us. We wanna know what things we're supposed to test in our lives. We can simply look at the example of Jesus. What did he do? We know first and foremost that, that he was one who was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. And those were words that he had to learn as a human being. Remember, he was divine, but also true man. And so he learned those words. He studied those words. And then he taught those words to others. He was deeply ingrained in the scriptures. What are we supposed to be as disciples? We're supposed to think and act like Jesus. Jesus did this and so do we. As we seek to grow in the word, we, we seek to, to have it be a part of us and a part of our thinking each day. Jesus also prayed and communed with his Father. We see him worshiping at various times. We see him walking with a group of people with whom he could relate. He, he was involved with them also in a more intimate way, in more intimate settings. And, and as he did, as they did, they molded and shaped each other in the ways of God. Not only that, we see the way that Jesus loved his neighbors and served, the way that he gave of himself, the way that, that in all things he sought to do what was best for others and sought to do what was best for the kingdom of God. Those are the things that we are called to do as disciples as well. Those are the places that we are to test our own lives, to, to see the go, no go for launch. And as we see that, the opportunities that we have to test our lives, we, we can actually get, get real serious and understand the places where we are strong and the places where we might need to grow some. And to understand even in those places where we are strong, we are called to take incremental steps, small steps. And in those places where we are weak, the same is true, small steps, incremental steps, to do the small things that will ultimately result in a large change. You know, that's true of NASA as well. Small steps that result in large change. Now think about that in our own lives. Uh, I wanna use just one example of something that people tell me all the time, and it's something that I really wanna address as Cornerstone. So many people say, I, I can't be a part of a Bible study because I simply don't know enough. Now, if that's you, I want you to hear an invitation. An invitation that says it's okay to not know a lot. It's okay to just be learning. The truth is, no one is born with an innate knowledge of God's Word. Every single one of us has to learn it. And it doesn't matter whether you've learned it since you were an infant or you learn it as an adult. It's a living Word which is new all the time. And so don't think you don't know enough. On the contrary, your, your new childlike optimism is actually encouraging to the rest of us. 
and the questions that you think, well, that's silly, I shouldn't ask. The simplest questions truthfully sometimes lead to the most profound levels of understanding. And for those of you that say, that's not me, I know enough, and so I'm confident in being in a Bible study, well, you also have a job in this. I want you to seek out those people who maybe, maybe are saying, I don't know enough, and I want you to love them to care for them enough that you're willing to say, you can ask me the questions. I may know them, I may not, but let's seek the answers together. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to give each other permission to learn, give each other permission to take steps. We need to give each other permission to walk together and to say, we're all in this together. It's not a competition. On the contrary, we're simply seeking to move forward in faith by thinking and acting more like Jesus. And by the way, one more step in this. Maybe you're somebody who is being called to be a teacher. Maybe to instruct others in the ways of the word. And by the way, the old expression is that when you teach, you learn twice. What a great gift that we can give each other to walk together in the word. And that's just one part of discipleship. That's just one part where we can test ourselves and grow together. And think of all of those ways that as we grow together, we will seek to be more like him as disciples. And brothers and sisters, in that discipleship walk, in that opportunity that we have to be together, we will then seek to, to nourish not only ourselves, but others as well, and to grow together as Cornerstone. Now, I, I wanna illustrate this for you, and there are lots of examples I could use, but I wanna just focus our attention on one. And the example that I think fits best the example that really kind of shows growth in discipleship is a man named Nicodemus. And we meet Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. Now we could use all sorts of stories of faith transformation from the Old Testament. We could talk about that all day. We could even use the faith transformation that we see in the apostles, like, like Peter and John himself. We could, we could talk about the transformation of the Apostle Paul. But I think Nicodemus fits our purposes the best. Because Nicodemus has, has something that he risks when he comes to Jesus. We meet Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In John 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, we have this detail, in fact it's repeated throughout the gospel, that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He came under the cloak of darkness because he was a member of the Pharisees. He was a, a part of the ruling council. He had some power and prestige. He was a person of means and, and being seen with Jesus, he wasn't sure that's what he wanted. He wasn't sure about Jesus, and he wasn't sure about Jesus' teaching. It seemed different than what he had heard before. And so he comes at night and he asks Jesus questions. And in the encounter, I, I encourage you to read it in John chapter 3. In the encounter, Jesus isn't particularly gentle with Nicodemus. In fact, on the contrary, he might be described as having a difficult conversation. He says, you're Israel's teacher and you don't know these things? He instructs Nicodemus. He instructs him in a way that Nicodemus has never been instructed before. He tells him about the ways of God. He tells him about what it means to be born again. He's talking to him about the most important things. In the midst of this difficult conversation, Jesus speaks the words which have become comfort for generations of Christians. Words that spoke of God's love in a way that Nicodemus had never heard. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have everlasting life. Jesus spoke those words to Nicodemus and it's, it's hard to believe, it's hard to even imagine that those words could have fallen on Nicodemus without having an impact. In fact, 
we know that they did have an impact. Because while they part company in John 3, we, we meet Nicodemus again in John chapter 7. And at this point, the, the tide of public opinion has already begun to turn against Jesus. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law are seeking to arrest him, seeking to bring him in. And so they send some guards to try to get him. And even as they send those guards, the guards themselves hear the words of Jesus and come back empty-handed. And when they come back empty-handed, the Pharisees then ask, why didn't you bring him back? Are, are you going to seek to follow him too? Because so many people were following after Jesus. And it's Nicodemus who speaks up. And Nicodemus says, is it right to convict a man before you've even heard him? And I can't help but think, even, even just with that simple, that simple sentence, that simple question, that Nicodemus thought, if you could just hear this Jesus speak, if you could just hear the way that he speaks of, of the God who, who loves the world, if you could just hear it, if, if you could experience Jesus, he would transform your life. He transformed the way that you think and see the world. He, he would change you, right? That's the questioning that he does, just in that simple sentence. Well, we don't see him again for a while. And we're left, we're left to meet other people and also to puzzle over what happened to Nicodemus. But we do meet him. We meet him one last time. And it's after the crucifixion of Jesus. And you know, the crucifixion sent all of their heads spinning because, because they thought Jesus was going to be something powerful, something mighty. He was going to be a king on this earth and overthrow the Romans. That's what a lot of people were anticipating. People thought this was going to end with some majestic throne. But instead, Jesus had been on trial. He'd been accused and convicted. He'd been put to death. And he had died. And now his body lay seemingly unwanted on the cross, still affixed. And it was Nicodemus who sought to bring that body down. Nicodemus and another man named Joseph, we learn his name in one of the other gospels. And they go and they ask for his body. He's, he's no longer ashamed to know Jesus. He's no longer coming under the shroud of night. Instead, he seeks the body so that he can give it a proper burial. And you almost see in Nicodemus' actions, this transformation, that he had been willing to do so much, to go so far with Jesus, but now Jesus was seemingly gone. And that's the last time we meet Nicodemus. We see now that his life is changed and we're left then to realize that his life will be forever changed, not just by the crucifixion, but by the resurrection. And imagine his, imagine his reaction when he learned that Jesus was alive. Imagine how that, that changed the way that Nicodemus lived. But even in those three encounters, in the beginning when Jesus is instructing him in the word, when the word takes root in him, to the second encounter, when he's willing to risk a little bit more and realizes what the impact will be, to the third time when he doesn't care what other people see or do, but he's willing to lay claim to Jesus. In each one of those, we see growth. And brothers and sisters, that's the type of growth that God wants in us. That God wants us to encounter the word, to encounter the gospel, to experience his mercy, to know of his love, a love which is unfathomable according to the world's standards and to see it differently, to test it and to allow that love to transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we can discern God's will for us. And so brothers and sisters, we are being called to test our own discipleship. You know, 
I started by talking about the scrubbed launch of Artemis. And it was scrubbed because they, they couldn't get hydrogen into the main tank properly. There was a leak and they tried to fix it, but they couldn't. And so they got the no-go for launch. You know, as I said also at the beginning, space exploration is years in the making. Here at the museum, there are four other airplane hangars that you have to go through of aviation history before you get to rockets. We begin to understand that it's a years-long process that we only pay attention to at the very end. But each one, each step involves significant risk. The same is true of our lives as disciples. And some of us will view our next step as a risk. Maybe sharing our faith publicly for the first time. Maybe, maybe telling someone else how important Jesus is. Maybe realizing that parts of our lives need to be transformed and renewed. But in each step, we're thinking and acting more like Jesus. More like the one who has come to give his life so that we might live. More like the one who has sacrificed himself so that we might be living sacrifices. More like the one who wants us to take small steps, incremental steps, realizing that along the way is life. And so brothers and sisters, that's my urging for you today. Take the small step, even if it's risky. Take the small step as you think and act like Jesus, as you live your life as a disciple. And so brothers and sisters, may God's peace that transcends understanding, may it, may it transform and renew your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen. Thank you.